Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your great love for us. And we do pray for Rod, for Dave, for the family. We just ask, Lord, for you to give them your comfort. Comfort is only you can, Lord. I, I pray for his grandkids that they would really understand how much you loved, uh, or how much you love Sherilyn and how much she loved them. And we pray, Lord God, that uh, they would just understand the faith that their dear grandmother had and how she lived. May it be a wonderful inspiration and legacy for them. We pray, Lord God, that you would uh, give direction and healing from the loss. And we also want to pray for Hidardo. We pray, dear God, for you to heal that finger, restore it. We ask, Lord, that uh, you would just speak the word, be healed. And, Lord, that that, that finger would uh, uh, continue to live on and you would restore his dexterity and all those things. He, he, uh, Lord, I, I can't even imagine what Hidardo would do without that. He just loves worshiping you and praising you. So we ask, Lord God, that you would do this, uh, this show your mercy to him and heal him. And now, Lord, we ask for you to bless this time in your word. As we study your word and learn from you, God, may we be transformed. And uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Sunday night Bible study. We're in 2 Kings chapter 20 tonight. And um, we last week we left off with Hezekiah. And Hezekiah has been an incredible king for Israel. He's done some uh, amazing reforms. Uh, he's gotten rid of all the false uh, idolatry, all the high places. He's uh, really shown himself to be dedicated to praying to the Lord. And uh, of course, as they were being under siege by the Assyrian army, Hezekiah went to the prophet and prayed. We had just a beautiful time last week in the Word as we learned about Hezekiah. Now, today we're going to see some problems show up, as they do. But don't be too quick to judge Hezekiah, because uh, I think oftentimes uh, we're the same way. You know, we'll do really great in this area or for this time period, and then we wane or whatever the case is. And, and uh, I think we can learn a lot and be encouraged. Now, we, are, we started... First Samuel in, uh, I think it was June of 2020 was when we started First Samuel. So we're, finished, we're getting close to finishing up Second Kings, and Second uh, Kings is going to end with Daniel uh, beginning, and that's where we end with uh, Judah being taken off into captivity by Babylon, and we're going to see a little bit, we're going to tonight see that prophecy of Judah being carried away into Babylon. But we'll start the first Sunday in June. We're going to actually start Romans on Sunday night because we've been in the Old Testament for two years now. And uh, we're going to start Daniel on Sunday mornings because we've been in the book of Acts for two years. So Sunday night, we're way more productive. We get through four books of the Bible. Well, Sunday mornings, they only get through one book of the Bible in two years. So wait a minute, I'm teaching both. Oh, crud. <laughs> so, anyway, no, but... Uh, so let's go ahead and get to chapter 20, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the saint of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Now I'm going to stop there. Uh, Hezekiah gets this, the prophet Isaiah comes to him and says, gives him this message that you're going to die. Get things in order. And the, the, I think the first 
question I, I think that we can apply to our own selves tonight is what would that look like if you received the message from the Lord, and, and maybe that message comes via the doctor telling you, get your house in order, you're going to die. What does that look like? What changes would you make? What, what decisions would you do uh, it, with those coming days? Now, there is a little bit of insight in Second Chronicles as to possibly why this message comes to Hezekiah. Turn real quick over to 2 Chronicles, or we'll put it up here too. 2 Chronicles chapter 32 and verse 24. 2 Chronicles 32 verse 24. It says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. Verse 25, But Hezekiah did not pray according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, wrath was looming over him, and over Judah and Jerusalem. And uh, then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And so we see here in Chronicles, it gives us a little more insight into what was going on with this sickness, that there seems to be a pride in Hezekiah uh, 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 maybe a boasting in himself, I'm not really sure exactly what, but we see that there is an issue with him humbling himself before the Lord. Very well, it could have been from the victory over the Assyrians that, wow, you know, that major battle is over. The, the Syri- Assyrians have left. They've turned and ran away because the angel of the Lord went through and wiped out the whole camp of the army. Uh, but uh, we, we're not totally sure with what, but we know that there was this pride issue. And so the Lord comes to Hezekiah and says, get, get your life together, get every, your affairs in order because you're going to die. We'll go back to chapter 20, verse uh, 2. Then he, Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord saying, remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and the city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant, David. So Hezekiah receives this message, and we're told that he just turns his face toward the wall. Basically, as Isaiah is leaving from delivering this message for him to get his affairs in order, Hezekiah doesn't go and start petitioning Isaiah. He goes and he petitions the Lord God. He turns his face toward the wall and he just starts praying. Now this prayer is, is kind of interesting because I don't know that we would necessarily pray this way today because we live under Christ and we don't live by merits. But remember, in the Old Testament, based upon the law, it was a meritorial system. It was about keeping the law. That was what was righteousness. Today our righteousness is by Christ. It doesn't mean... We go around just sinning or anything like that. Of course, we don't want to trample the grace of God in our lives. But, but as we see in his prayer, he says, I pray how I have walked before you in truth with the loyal heart. I've been good. I've been truthful. I've been loyal to you. I have done what was in good. So please heal me. 
Uh, now, I, I, I appreciate that prayer. It's true. He did walk before the Lord. But certainly there is this, this issue of pride. Uh, and of course, again, like I said, we don't know. We can only speculate about this. To, today, though, we're not going to pray based on our merit. We're going to pray based on the merit of Jesus Christ. And so, of course, when we go to the Lord, we go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, when we pray in Jesus' name, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to say the words in Jesus' name every time you pray, but, but it means that you are in Christ, that, that Jesus is the Lord of your life, that you've surrendered yourself to him. And so when you come to the Father, you come in Jesus' name. You, you're identified with Jesus. And so we don't pray by our merits. We pray by Christ, but it's an interesting prayer. So as Isaiah is walking out, God says, okay, hold on, stop, turn around. Go back and tell Hezekiah he's got 15 more years. Well, now he's got an even greater time clock. He's got 15 years. Now, depending on where you're at in life, 15 years might sound like a lot, a really long time, especially for you teenagers. You're like, wow, I I just hit 15 years. Man, my life has been going on forever. But of course, if you're in your 70s or 80s, you're like, 15 years, that's nothing. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that's kind of a blink. And um, and so Hezekiah here is told, I have 15 years. Well, let me ask you that. What, what would that look like for you in your life if you were told 15 years to live? What are you going to do with 15 years? How, how might you live? How might you consider the things that are important or worth investing in or not important? Those are, those are important questions to ask. In fact, Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, Paul gives us this instruction See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So how will you use this time that God gives to you today? Will you redeem the time? And I think it's really interesting that Paul uses that word redeem. In the Greek, it's ek argarazo. And, and the word in the Greek obviously means to buy out of the hands of a person, to redeem or to set free. And here I think we can apply it with the idea of to rescue from loss or misapplication. That, that because these days are evil, we have time. We have time in this world. And while we have time in this world, we don't want to misapply that time for evil things. We don't want to apply that time for useless things. We want to rescue that time from loss, that, that we can get, waste all of our time. We can use our time for evil things or just nothing, or we can actually rescue the time. We can buy it back for noble purposes. And, and I think this is a challenge for us. Certainly, it's not saying that you have to become legalistic Uh, chart out your whole day and all these things. But I I think it's worthwhile asking about time in your life because we know like every dollar that you make, you will never re-earn that dollar. Have you ever thought about that? Every dollar that you earn, you will never re-earn that dollar. God knows how many dollars you're going to earn in your entire lifetime. And that's, that's the last time you'll ever earn that dollar. And with every hour you have, that is the only hour. You'll never, re-get, you'll never get back that hour. And so how you use that time, you can use it for things that invest into eternity, or you can use it for things that are evil or sinful or rebellious against God, or you can use it for things that are just are 
Just, you know, you're just doing nothing. And uh, I think this is really important for us to consider. So Hezekiah is given this 15-year timeline. And, and um, notice that God's doing it for the sake of Judah, for the sake of David. He's giving him this 15 years. Verse 7 says, Then Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs. So they took it and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. So God actually gives Isaiah an herbal remedy to, to whatever the illness was for Hezekiah to do. Now, I have a funny story about this. I was down in uh, Paraguay, or Paraguay for, for you, uh, Miji. And uh, I was down in Paraguay, and we, we were there uh, working uh, on a church building, and I was staying with a family, and their, their house got sick with chicken pox. And their kids were moaning at night, and, and I was like, I, I was in there with a youth kid. He was 17-year-old. Uh, myself and him were staying at this house. And he's like, man, that sounds terrible. I was like, oh, it's no big deal. If you've had chicken pox, you're not going to get it. And, and so we're in bed, like, just talking. And he's like, I've never had chicken pox. I'm like, ooh, that's not going to be great for you. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, by the time we got home, he had chicken pox. But nonetheless, um, he, th- these kids are groaning at night. And, uh, and uh, so... I hear the parents praying, and what they had done is they had read this passage in Isaiah, or sorry, in Kings. You can re- read a similar passage in Isaiah 38, and, and they went and they faced the wall, and they were praying for the Lord to heal. Then they went out and they took some bark off a tree, and they boiled it, this bark that was medicinal in Paraguay, and they gave it to their kids, and <laughs> I thought, whoa, that's kind of a misapplication of the Bible. Well, it was a misapplication of the text, no question about it, but it was the perfect application of faith, meaning that they put their trust in the Lord. They said, Lord, we know you can heal, and this was a great learning lesson for me because we're so literal, like, nope, this is what the Word says. This is how it's applied. Don't go do that. Well, they prayed the next day these kids were healed, and I was like, all right. <laughs> That's a, so I was telling Pastor Hoel, I was like, well, you're never going to believe what just happened in our house. Uh, and I, so I t- shared the story with him. He's like, yeah, it's amazing because they're, they're infants in their faith, but they believe. Uh, we, we had a refrigerator that, that broke. And I said, oh, no, we had this refrigerator. It's broken. And, and, and the people all got up right away. I was thinking like, okay, we got to figure out how to buy a new refrigerator for the church and do these things. Well, the people all got up. They laid hands on the refrigerator. And they prayed, Lord, heal this refrigerator. And guess what? Refrigerator started back up. <laughs> so so I, I love the fact that they were just like, hey, listen, we, we've met this God of the Bible, and we're just going to believe him, and we're going to ask him. Thing. And, of course, God in his mercy and graciousness did this. But anyway, so Hezekiah uh, takes a lump of figs, and as Isaiah told him, now it doesn't mean that if you go through these steps, you're going to get healed of something. But uh, we see that this is the direction that God gives to Isaiah. Verse 8, it says, And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day? Then Isaiah said, This is the sign uh, to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do uh, the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backward 10 degrees? We're talking about the sundial here. Uh, of Ahaz. So on the shadow, 
you know, you look at this sundial and there's a shadow. And basically, do you want it to go forward or backward 10 degrees? Obviously, if it goes forward, we see the light, you know, that's the way the days are advancing. If it goes backwards, however, we're talking about stepping back in time. time. Well, uh, verse 10, and Hezekiah answered, it is an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. No, but let the shadow go backward 10 degrees. Verse 11, so Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord, and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward, by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. And so it, it is interesting how people try to explain away how this could happen, this phenomenon. And I want to say this, God is the creator of all things. God is, is the one who created the sun, the moon, the stars. He's the one who puts everything in order. Certainly being that he's the creator, he also can control. So for me, my God is so big that I don't even understand him. He's so powerful that he's in control of all things. And I have no problem just knowing that God moved the sundial back 10 degrees. I have no problem with that. That's my God. If you have a problem with it, I would just ask you how big is your God? And then you can go from there. You take that up with him. But uh, so (laughs) Hezekiah sees the sundial move backwards. So now he's got 15 years on his life. Uh, Wonderful. 15 new years on life. Well, uh, turn with me real fast. Before we go on to verse 12, let's go back over to 2 Chronicles 32 for a moment. 2 Chronicles 32 and verse 27. Second uh, Chronicles 32 verse 27 says, Hezekiah had very great riches and honor. And he made himself treasuries of silver for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and for all kinds of desirable items. Storehouses for the harvest of grain, wine, and oil. And stalls for all kinds of livestock and folds for flocks. Moreover, he provided cities for himself and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance. For God had given him very much property. This same Hezekiah also stopped the water outlet of, the, of Upper Gihom and brought the water by tunnel to the west side of the city of David. Hezekiah prospered in all his work works. So uh, what we find out here about Hezekiah is he's very wealthy. Now, if you remember, the Assyrian army came. He paid them a huge uh, sum. sum to get them to leave, but then they didn't leave. They were going to take over the city. And then finally the Lord removed them. So I I believe a lot of this wealth came after the Assyrian army threat and Hezekiah continued to amass wealth. I'm sure a lot of this happened within this post-period of Assyria uh, coming as well as these 15 years that he just amassed all this wealth. And one of the things he did was he also built, and notice that, that they mentioned this tunnel He sealed up the springs. This was a good strategic move because, hey, listen, if we have these springs of water outside the city and another invading army comes, they're going to drink our water and we won't get any. So he made this tunnel, Hezekiah's tunnel, from, uh, they went underground to the spring and they capped off the springs. And by the way, you can still go to Jerusalem today and see this tunnel that Hezekiah uh, made. So it's kind of neat. It goes back to 700 B.C. Um, but he was very, very wealthy. Now, now we go back over to Second Kings 20, um, 20, verse 12. At that time, Baradoc Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and 
a, a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them all the house of, the, of his treasures, the silver and the gold, spices and precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Okay, so the king of Babylon shows up. Now, at this time, the king of Babylon is still under, he's still paying tribute to Assyria. He, there, Babylon is rising in power, uh, and Assyria is still one of the top, top kingdoms at this time. Egypt's also waning in power. But he comes and he visits Hezekiah, and Hezekiah just starts giving him a whole tour of all of his wealth. I don't know about you, but that seems like it might be a foolish thing. <laughs> Uh, it, it's it's kind of like having the, the inviting the burglar over and showing him. Oh, by the way, I, I keep the safe over here, and I do this, and 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 if you ever want the combo, it's it, you know. <laughs> um, so he t- starts taking him around, showing him all this wealth. Now, what he didn't show him is the temple. He didn't show him about his God. He didn't show him about the living God. He didn't tell him about how God, he turned his face to the wall. He petitioned God and God healed him. So verse 14 says, Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say and from where did they come from to to you? So Hezekiah said they came from a far country from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Hezekiah is real proud of himself. Verse 16, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord, which you have spoken, is good. For he said, will there not be peace and truth, at least in my days? So Isaiah, when he confronts Hezekiah on this, Hezekiah says, oh, I showed him everything. And I, it was, you know, they were real impressed with me. Well, here's the deal, Hezekiah. They're coming for you. Ever since you showed them all your treasures and everything that you have, guess what they want now? What you have. And they're going to come take it. But it won't happen in your day. It's going to happen in your son's days. And they're going to take away your sons as eunuchs. So this is the prophecy of Babylon coming in, which they do come. And they will take over. They will take captives from Judah back to Babylon. And Daniel, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be some of those captives taken away uh, into captivity uh, into Babylon. And so here's a prophecy. But I think my biggest problem is Hezekiah's response. Now, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. Certainly, we can always say that God's word is good. Even if, it, if it's prophesying a rebuke, or, uh, or disciplining us, God's word is always good because it's always going to accomplish his purposes. And certainly, even as you read the prophets, when the prophets share about coming judgment, they also share a coming hope uh, because God doesn't just forsake his people. Uh, however, I, what my problem with his response is, is that as long as he has peace in his days, peace in his days, he's cool with it. 
And I, it shows a lack of uh, leaving those coming behind you with truth, leaving them with the resources to live out their days under the Lord. It, it just shows a, a, like, hey, as long as I'm good, I don't care it kind of attitude. And that, that definitely should never be the attitude of a Christian. Uh, we as Christians should always be training up, raising up. Think about this. We all are looking forward to the coming of our Lord. In fact, we, we really hope we're going to see it soon. And it certainly feels like we're going to see the coming of our Lord soon for his church. Amen? Um, we, I certainly hope so. Uh, and I know you younger people are like, oh, come on. I'm just getting started here. But trust me, as you walk with the Lord and as you love him and as you get to know him, you're going to want to be with him too just as much. Um, but uh, but we, we don't know for sure when the Lord's coming. We, we don't know. And so we, we wait on him. We, we say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. But we also know that we need to raise up the next generations because every generation needs to know the gospel. Every generation needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And there'll be a time when you can't share it anymore. So who's going to share it? Who's going to reach that next generation? We should always be giving, handing off that wealth of Jesus Christ and the knowledge that we have to the next generation and raising them up. It should be a constant idea. If you're not doing that, I'll tell you this, your fellowship is dying. That's what's happening. If you're not ha- raising up and handing off, and I, actually that's one of the reasons I love Sunday nights is we, we have time for other people to come and preach on Sunday nights. Our praise team is always, we got different people up here. Uh, it's a proving ground and, uh, <laughs> yep, Brian, <laughs> I saw him. And, and that's one of the things I love so much about Sunday nights is, is it's an opportunity to raise up uh, so that eventually it's not dependent upon me or dependent upon one individual praise team leader, but, but all, uh, we're handing off the kingdom as, as, as uh, people are maturing and growing in Christ. So, so verse 20 says, Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and all his might and how he made a pool and a tunnel and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Hezekiah rested with his fathers, then Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. Now Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephizabah, Hephizabah, that's fun to say. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Oh, sorry, we're in chapter 21, verse verse. Verses 1 through 2. We just continue on. Sorry, Alma. There you go. Um, So, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah's father had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal and made a wooden image as Ahab king of Israel had done. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also he made his son pass through the fire, practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David and Solomon his son, 
in this house and in, in, and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever, and I will not make the feet of Israel wander anymore from the land which I gave their fathers. Only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But, but they paid no attention, and Manasseh, Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. So we're going to stop there for a moment. Manasseh is a terribly wicked king. And we can see that um, he takes over his king when he's 12 years old. He reigns for 55 years. And the first point I want to make about this is just because you get a long reign doesn't mean God is pleased with you. Just because things are going well, it doesn't mean your actions are godly. And I, I just want to encourage you just with that alone when when uh, if you think that, well, man, I'm, I'm just being blessed all the time. I know I'm walking in some sin or I'm toying around with some sin or I'm doing some disobedient things. But, hey, man, I'm blessed. Look at how blessed I am. And, and uh, God, just, uh, God obviously doesn't really disapprove that much. Well, that's not really a good litmus test uh, because here he, let, he allows Manasseh to reign 55 years. So uh, we, we recognize that the, the word of God has been given to us for uh, training in righteousness. So we know if the word of God says something, uh, we don't just ignore it and say, well, you know, God is probably pretty okay with this rebellious activity or the sin or the sinful attitude. No, we want to conform ourselves to Jesus Christ. We want to be transformed by his word. So Manasseh here takes over at 12 years old. Now, if you do the math, one of the things you find out is Manasseh is actually born during that 15-year time that God had extended Hezekiah's life. And uh, that brings up a lot of questions. Um, how was Hezekiah training his son and preparing him for that fi- in 15 years? Uh, well, of course, at the time Manasseh was born, he had 13 years left on his life. But how was, how was Hezekiah raising up his son to take over the kingdom? It, it, it certainly should shed some light on on the, the end of Hezekiah. And I want to say this. We're going to see something interesting. Hezekiah starts out incredible. When he starts out his reign, he gets rid of all the high places. He restores worship in Jerusalem. He, he's a really good king. He, he calls the people to worship and to trust in God. Uh, he's prayerful. Hezekiah starts out in so incredible. But toward the end, we see that he's got this pride issue and kind of boasting in Hezekiah, not boasting in the Lord. Manasseh is going to start out incredibly wicked. Man, this guy is really, truly the worst. But we're going to say he ends with repentance. Now, I, I don't know for sure if Hezekiah will be in heaven. I, I, I hope so. I'd like to meet him. But I'll tell you this right now. We're going to go through this list of sins. And I believe you and I will meet Manasseh in heaven, okay? And we'll we'll talk about that in a moment. But look at what Manasseh does. Manasseh did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations, verse 2, of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel, okay? Remember the whole reason why God had cast them out of the land was because of these abominations. He rebuilt the high places. He raised up the altars for Baal. He, uh, he, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done, he worshiped all the host of heaven. He also built altars in the house of the Lord. 
So in, in the temple, he builds other altars to worship other gods. Um, more than that, in verse 6, it says he made his son pass through the fire. That's worshiping the God of Molech. That means he sacrificed his son. Uh, and he's, this guy is so wicked. He, made, uh, he practiced soothsaying, witchcraft, consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Basically, every possible thing that would make God angry, he did. In fact, look at what else he did. He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon's son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all my tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. What is Asherah? Well, Asherah was one of the goddesses of fertility. Basically, he turned the temple of God into a brothel. This guy is wicked. Everything about him, murdering his children, his child, his son, to uh, turning the house of the Lord into a brothel. Um, He's doing everything God says. Verse 9 said that he paid no attention to the laws, but he seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. This, This king is so wicked. Verse 10 says, And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, and has also made Judah sin with his idols. Wow. That, that is saying that, that he, this, this king is doing a greater evil than, than all those who were before in this land. That, that was the whole reason why God had Israel wipe out the peoples of the land because of the, this evil that they were partaking in. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears it, both, of his, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies, because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day of their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Now I'm going to stop there for a moment. Manasseh, God is speaking to Manasseh by his servants, the prophets. Now, it's summed up here in 2 Kings what the message is to Manasseh. But who are these prophets? Well, we have Hosea, Joel, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Isaiah. Uh, so those, those books, of pro- the minor prophets and, and major prophets, you can write those down. Again, I'll sell them. Hosea, Joel, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Isaiah. The, these are the prophets who are speaking to Manasseh about what, what's happening. And God says, basically, remember what happened in Samaria? So I'm going to stretch out my measuring line about Samaria. And I'm going to use my plummet, you know, the, the plumb bob, to see what's true. And if I judge Samaria based on this, this standard, certainly I'm going to judge you. And I'm going to clean you up like a, a dirty dish. We're going to dump it over. We're going to wipe off all the dirt, the dirt and turn it upside down. Uh, because of the evil that you're doing. I think we can identify somewhat with Habakkuk or with uh, this time in Israel's history. Uh, 
because we, we see people being seduced in our own culture and community and our country into doing wickedness and evil. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I know I cry out, Lord, sa- save our people. Uh, Lord, I want them to have salvation, but stop the wickedness, God. Like, I, I want to see some of this evil and wickedness stop. Some of the, and, but it seems like every time uh, they make a decision, then they double down on that decision. They make something way worse. Like I mentioned last week, AB 2223, that post-abortion bill, basically. That, and, and really, the bill is about a woman can't be, uh, th- th- you can't look into or bring charges against a woman even up to 28 days after birth if the baby is murdered. Uh, and, and you're just like, how, how is this even possible, the wickedness of our culture? M- remember, the whole argument for Roe v. Wade was about location originally. It was about, about the, that we're not really sure if the baby is a, a human. We don't know when the baby becomes a human. So therefore, it's okay to abort because they don't know. And of course, we know now, looking back at Roe v. Wade decision, a lot of the facts in that case were falsified, and they made a terrible decision based on false information. But now it's no longer about location. It's about individual, uh, <clears throat> the individual uh, being at peace with themselves or getting what they want. It's terrible. And, and we see this with schools. The, the, the evil that they're putting upon our kids, the, the embracing of, of things that ought not to be done in our culture, and not just embracing it, but parading it before people. And if you go to Habakkuk, I, I think Habakkuk really kind of, uh, we can identify with Habakkuk's prayer. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 1. And by the way, I think we'll all be encouraged by this prayer. So go over, go ahead and turn to, ha- oh, there it is, look at that. Thanks. So Habakkuk 1, 2 through 4, uh, Habakkuk prays a prayer. And it, it's a prayer and a question to God, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Habakkuk is basically saying, Lord, look at the violence, the evil that's happening. And I'm crying out to you. And I even say, violence, Lord, do something. And you're not doing anything, God. Why won't you do something? Uh, as, as he cries out to, about these individuals that are so wicked. And again, we're talking about uh, Jerusalem, Judah in Manasseh's day. And, and of course, Chronicles actually tells us that it wasn't just Manasseh. The people of Judah were this way. So Habakkuk cries out to God. And I want to say this. I read this quote. The ever-present why is answered by the everlasting who. That's a great quote. As, as Habakkuk cries out, why? That's, that's the, always the ever-present question, right? Whenever there's pain, violence, or wrongdoing, evil, whatever the case is, we ask the question, why? And we see in Habakkuk that the everlasting who is the one who answers it. 
So verses 5 through 11 of chapter 1 says, uh, this is the Lord's reply. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. Remember, he talks to, uh, through the prophets in First Kings or Second Kings about their ears tingling. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their charges charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scoffed by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mound and seize it. Then his mind changes, and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. So God says, oh, I'm going to do something you can't even imagine. Those Chaldeans, those Babylonians, who nobody sees as a threat, I'm about to raise them up, and they're going to come, and they're going to wipe everything out. So there's going to be judgment coming. It's just not coming this moment. Now Habakkuk starts asking, oh, wait a minute, hold on, God. What about your inheritance? What about Israel? How is it that these unbelieving pagans are now coming to wipe us out? So uh, God, give justice, but wait, don't give justice through them, <laughs> okay? That's what, that's what it says. But these wonderful words are spoken by the Lord as God answers Habakkuk on that second question. Look at chapter 2. Verses 2 through 4, Habakkuk, or the Lord says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. So if you're righteous and you're listening to the word, run. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. But the just shall live by faith. So this is the, the, the second message of the question, that if you want to be just, you're going to start living by faith. That's, that's what pleases God. Without faith, it is impossible to please, please God, Hebrews says. So Habakkuk receives this message. And remember, Habakkuk's message to Manasseh and the people of Jerusalem or Judah, it, 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 it's going out to everyone. Hey, if you want to be justified, you've got to live by faith. Skip down to chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. Habakkuk writes this. After speaking to the Lord, he, he gives this beautiful idea. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fall, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord." I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God, verse 19, is my strength. He will make my feet like the deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high, on my high hills. So Habakkuk comes to this, this understanding that God is bringing this judgment. He's calling out for judgment. How long will you put up with evil, Lord? You might be in this very same place today that, Lord, how long are you going to put up with evil? 
we, we see this. Why are these people still in authority? Why do they still have power, Lord? They're doing evil. And, and, and we, we recognize that as we pray for that, God will judge. And when he does judge, he's going to do something that we couldn't even see happening. But how are we supposed to live through this period of time? Well, we live by faith in the Son of God. And then he, he resolves this whole prophecy with this beautiful hymn. And, and verse 17 is all the stuff that it's really bad. I mean, think about it. The fig tree may not blossom. No figs this year. Okay, well, we don't eat figs. No big deal. Well, hold on. Nor fruit on the vines. Okay, no fruit. Nor uh, the fields yield no food. What are we talking about? We're talking about a massive famine. Uh, though the flock may be cut off from the fold. So we're talking about we're, we've lost all of our sheep. Look at what the, the, the person does, the prophet does. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. So Habakkuk under, comes to this understanding that God is absolutely in control and he's going to put his joy and place his joy not in the things around him, not in the, the, the fruit of the field, not in his own affluence or his own personal happiness, but in the Lord God, the God of his salvation as God deals with the people of this world. Well, we've run out of time. I can't believe it, but we have absolutely run out of time. Uh, so w- what I'm going to say is uh, go ahead and finish reading on your own uh, Manasseh's Repentance. Uh, you're going to find it in Second Chronicles 33, uh, verses 10 through 17. Uh, I want to encourage you to read that. Manasseh Repents. And God receives his repentance, but he repents after the Syrians come back, put a fish hook in his nose, take him off into (laughs) captivity, and then he he repents and he comes back to Jerusalem. Uh, And uh, I think it's important that we understand that repentance because although we would say, well, wait a minute, this guy is super evil. Why does he deserve to repent? Well, it's not based in our actions. It's based on the Lord God's actions. And, And like we look back at the cross of Christ knowing that we can repent, Manasseh was looking forward at the Redeemer of Israel. So uh, you can read that on your own, and next week we'll come back together. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we can depend upon you, the God of our salvation, Lord. Though the nations work evil and people do what is wrong, Lord, we do cry out for you to bring change. And Lord, we know that you've put us during this time and this season and this place that we might bring the gospel forth. So, Lord, we, we don't want to be lazy with this. We don't want to be seduced by evil, Lord. We want to redeem our time. We want to use it wisely, knowing that our days are numbered and that these, these particular days that we live in are evil and full of evil. So, Lord God, let us be light. Let us be salt in this earth and bring forth your wonderful good news of redemption. We thank you, dear God. We thank you for each and everyone here tonight who's joined us for worship and study of your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would just really encourage their hearts. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us tonight. And next week we have a good king coming up. So uh, you're going to want to be here for that. It's only a few kings left and not many good. So <laughs> next week we have a really great king. In fact, next week. They find the word of God that was lost during Manasseh's reign. So it's a pretty powerful time. But for now, as Paul writes at the end of Galatians, and as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. 
and, and with your spirit. Amen.